Okay, we're recording. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. We are back with a, another game recap, uh, Las Vegas Aces versus Chicago Sky. Stephen, usually we do uh, recaps in, in, in pairs, like these game recaps. We do two, two game recaps. But on this Sunday, I believe both of us were like, you want to do Atlanta? No, no, we don't want to do Atlanta. Let's just do uh, Chicago and Vegas. And uh, this game delivered. Yeah, wasn't well, weren't too many other options uh, over the weekend. Uh, you know, no games Friday, of course, and then yesterday was a pretty limited schedule as well. So we figured, you know, let's just take the uh, the two heavyweights here, and uh, it was it was a great game, uh, ABC game, and Chicago came out on top, ninety two eighty four, clinching a playoff spot as they moved to fifteen and fourteen. Vegas still holding strong in the two seed, uh, a game and a half above. Minnesota for the coveted double buy. Um, how was the game, Eric? You were there in person. How was the atmosphere? I was there. I was there in person. The atmosphere was awesome. Um, I was pleasantly surprised by the turnout. Usually you'd think like Labor Day weekend, maybe not a lot of people. Everyone's on vacation or whatever, but plenty of people chose to spend their vacation with the sky and the aces. And that's that's always cool when when and they're into it too. It wasn't really just a it wasn't just a, a big crowd, it was a big and an energetic crowd. So um it's always cool when you have a uh, a game with like playoff implications like this with two really good teams, um, both the teams showed out and Chicago showed out as well. So uh, proud fan, not just because of the win, but because of the city. I guess the the funny thing about this game is, you know, statistically speaking, uh, you know, it, it looks like sort of uh, an offensive kind of heavyweight game. You know, Chicago was just a tick under a 118 offensive rating. You know, Vegas was uh, over 106 offensive rating. Um, but it, and you look kind of up and down the box score, like none of the stars of this game really had huge offensive games, but you know, the net, the offensive ratings overall ended up being pretty high, but it felt to me, at least watching the game that, you know, Chicago definitely in some spurts, Vegas at times, you know, really had a hard time getting the offense going. I I thought like Chicago um, really went deep into the shot clock a lot and and just kind of looked to Candace Parker, like after running a couple like DHOs and and didn't really get anything out of them, you know, Parker just had to kind of put something up. Um, So I I guess what I'm saying is just that, you know, the overall offensive uh, efficiency for these teams doesn't really reflect, I don't think kind of the the pace of the game overall. No, and you're exactly right. The pace, if if you want to get technical about it, um, according to WNBA.com, there are 78 and a half. So we'll call it 79 possessions in this game not typical for a Las Vegas Aces game. So I I wouldn't be surprised if that was kind of in Chicago's game plan to play with a lot of purpose offensively. And also when when you talk about offensive efficiency, sometimes it's not about, you know, what the team does on offense, but it's about, you know, the mistakes that they don't make Vegas, only six turnovers, Chicago, only seven turnovers. It was a pretty clean game for the most part. Yeah. And the other thing I think driving up those offensive ratings is that each of these teams were able to get to the the free throw line for over 15% of their shooting possessions. So, you know, I thought the wings for Chicago specifically uh, were really great uh, attacking the basket. This was a great diamond to shields game, um, which, yeah, which we can get into at some point. Uh, Obviously Asia got to the line a few times as well. Candace Parker had eight free throw attempts in the first half alone. Where where should we start just in terms of kind of what, what this looked like, you know, from a matchup perspective or, or whatever you want to do. 
Well, from a matchup perspective, I think you once again need to look at who Vegas was missing. And that's Liz Cambage, who is out due to COVID protocols, and Dierka Hamby, who is nursing that injured foot, I believe. So they're both out. Heading into this game, of course, they were, they were both out the last time Chicago played Vegas, in which Chicago got absolutely punked in the first quarter, managed to fight back, uh, but then the Aces pulled it out at the end there. This was, the game was kind of almost like the opposite uh, today in this respect, in that Chicago was the one that got off to a hot start. But if you're talking about just matchups heading into this game, I think you do need to look at this because uh, Vegas, you know, they, they start Jackie Young and Raquan Williams and Chelsea Gray. No surprises there. But Kia Stokes is the one who got the assignment next to Asia Wilson. She actually played 33 minutes today. I thought she was fairly effective, but we can get into that later. It really requires Vegas to, you know, get a lot out of one or two players from their bench. Whereas, you know, other times you could expect them to stagger their lineups with a few really good players going in and out of the game. But there were stretches in which Vegas played some lineups that I thought just were not very effective. And I think that was a function of just not having that star power, that that amount of star power available to them. Yeah, so they, I mean, they, they tried to steal some minutes in the first half for Bria Holmes got a stint in the first half, which, you know, she she immediately turned it over on kind of a lazy pass, bringing it up the court. She got sagged way underneath when she ran like a, a kind of pick and roll up, up top, I guess, and, you know, missed the, the long two. Uh, I, I don't think it was particularly effective minutes from Holmes, and we didn't see her again in the second half. You know, they Vegas tried to steal a minute uh, or so with Destiny Slocum on the floor, who zeroes across the box score. Not that that tells you everything, you know, the, the floor game doesn't necessarily reflect the box score, but in this case, I think it does. You know, Slocum didn't really make an in- impact in any way. It was one minute. Yeah, exactly. So, and then it was just, you know, pretty much seven players in the second half and even Jisoo Park did not play a ton in the se- I think maybe five minutes in, in the second half. So really leaning very, very heavily on uh, their top six there. Meanwhile, Chicago went, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine deep with all players coming off the bench, getting double, double, uh, double digit minute values, rather. Uh, Diamond Shields getting 21 minutes, although that was maybe skewed a tiny bit because uh, Kelly Copper went down with what appeared to be some kind of leg injury. Um, of course, I was at the game, so I didn't really get the report on it. Um, it looked a lot scarier at first than it ended up being, so you know, thank goodness she was okay. But maybe that reflected in, in the Shields' minutes, but Diamond did take advantage of it. Uh, we saw Lexi Brown as, as the first guard off the bench as opposed to Dana Evans, who did not play, which I thought that was interesting. Um, and Estu Dufal coming back from an injury of her own played 15. So well, Chicago... Eric, let, let's kind of invert it a little bit. You know, normally okay. we kind of start with the, the stars, but let, let's talk about, you know, who did and did not play at the end of the bench for Chicago. You know, okay. Lexi Brown getting the minutes over Dana Evans and then Ruthie Hebert again kind of ending up uh, out of the rotation. And, and Estu Dufal, I thought, playing great and pretty much playing equal time as Stephanie Dolson off the bench. Yeah, this was, I believe, one of Stu Dufal's best games of the year. She didn't put up a, a, like a Gaudi stat line or anything like that, but her rebounding and her defense were really key. She blocked a couple shots. She also came up with a key jump ball. Uh, she, she, she forced a jump ball rather late in the game, uh, which you know counts as an excellent defensive play, particularly when it comes against a player of Asia Wilson's caliber. I really can't overstate how important little plays like that are, especially when you're playing against a team Las Vegas, who gets to the free throw line like nobody's business. Chicago actually took one more free throw than Las Vegas in this game, which I think was a huge key in, in their victory. But um, yeah, it was interesting to see Estu Dufal play 
I mean, one second fewer than Stephanie Dolson in this game. Um, and then Azure Stevens didn't really play much, uh, much as well, like 16 minutes. So it seemed like kind of a three big rotation next to Candace Parker, if you could call it that. Meanwhile, Lexi Brown, you know, I don't hate that decision. Against this team, I think a team that clearly looks to hunt poor defenders and, and, and hunt smaller guards on offense. Um, I think Evans was just, was just going to get targeted over and over and over again. Well, of course, Lexi Brown, not once again, not, not, not the stockiest guard, but she is known as a good defender. And she did play good defense in this game as well as, you know, just kind of manage the game. I mean, she's five assists to zero turnovers with a three pointer. That's basically all you can ask from Lexi Brown at this point. So Wade kind of uh, changed up his substitution patterns. And uh, for the most part, I think it worked out really well for him. Yeah, I thought uh, Brown Brown was good, a good defensive player uh, in this game, I thought. You know, I, I liked that a little bit more maybe in the second half than in the first half, that, you know, Wade kept Parker in the game for a lot of those non-Vandersloot minutes. So you kind of had all three wings in there a lot of time, or, or three of the four kind of main wings, whether it's Quigley to Shields Brown or Copper to Shields Brown along with Candace Parker. So, you know, a little bit of ball handling kind of everywhere uh, from those four positions uh, rather than, you know, just you know, having Dana Evans kind of be like the point guard. A lot of te- a lot of times it would just be like, okay, Lexi, you get it across half court and, and then kind of get it to Candace Parker right, right, right. And, and she'll do some of that initiating. And I think that reflects in uh, Candace's eight assists that she had in this game. And, and some of those were some, some great ones, I thought. Dolson also, I thought, had a, just an excellent passing game. But yeah, this uh, to to go back to what you were saying. This was a great a stew game. You know, I I've been pretty critical, I would say, and you know, over the course of this season about a stew's contributions to this team. But you know, she closed the game for them in this game. I think rightfully so. You know, she is just uh, a little bit of a better matchup, I would say. You know, I was kind of wondering coming into this game if you know maybe they would go with you know this stronger Dolson over Azra Stevens. Um, but I think you know what we've kind of seen over ages career and she's a great player and can really put the work in against a lot of great defensive players but if there's one thing that bothers her more than others it's you know length is a little bit more of a challenge for her than you know like a strong post defender you know the the strength isn't going to really bother her as much as the ability to kind of shoot over someone and I think that's where you know Stevens I, I thought wasn't amazing in this game better defensively I would say than offensively probably but a, a stew was pretty good you mentioned that the two blocks that she had including the jump ball she also had that great and timely offensive rebound and put back that I thought was huge to kind of keep momentum uh in Chicago's favor so can't can't argue with the process can't argue with the results I don't think this would be a particularly great Ruthie Hebert matchup either way uh so it's nice to kind of get the positive contributions from a stew there yeah I agree with you on, on regarding Hebert uh, a lot of Sky fans myself included have been asking, you know, where, where is Ruthie? She's been, she played so well early in the season when she was kind of pressed into action there. But when you talk about, um, y- y- I'll take you one further there when it comes to the length. Uh, not only does it, does it uh, bother Wilson a little more? Uh, I think it just, when you're, when you're looking at a team like this it, it, in its current state, um, when they're starting, when they're playing Jackie Young alongside Asia Wilson so often, um, and, and there are other players besides Kelsey Plum and Raquana Williams weren't really looking to be that aggressive either. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to basically pack the paint and either force turnovers, which Aces obviously didn't have that many, but, you know, just make them uncomfortable. Sometimes it's not about recording a defensive stat. It's just about forcing a bad shot or forcing a player who you want taking a shot into taking that shot rather than Asia Wilson. Granted, if you look at Asia's stat line, 7 for 21 from the field, I think Chicago played excellent 
defense on Asia Wilson. Um, also brought some some very timely double teams on Asia Wilson. But I think they did, just did a really good job defensively of forcing players who aren't comfortable making plays or taking shots into doing so. Would you agree with that? I would, yeah. And I thought Chicago, you know, they... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like they were really more aggressive in kind of playing a switching defense today than they than they are uh, a lot of other times. And um, I think a lot of that had to do maybe with Kia Stokes being in the game. You know, if if they're running a gray yeah, a gray Stokes pick and roll, like Chicago just wasn't really worried about you know Kia Stokes kind of punishing them. Under, and and Stokes played great, particularly in the second half, in terms of doing the things you're asking her to do. She did those well. But, you know, punishing a switch underneath isn't one of those things. And Chelsea Gray, I, I didn't think this was a particularly good game for her. And she was not really able to punish switches. Really the only player on this Aces team that was doing anything against any type of switch or even if it's just kind of late recovering around a screen and, and you've got the big on you for a second was Kelsey Plum, uh, who, who really kept them in it for a lot of this game particularly in sort of the bench versus bench in some of those lineups where you think, how is Vegas going to score with this combination of players in the game? You know, that's kind of where Kelsey Plum was doing a lot of her work. And yeah, it was, I thought some really great help defense by Allie Quigley and not a player known for her defense necessarily, but you know, having the assignment on Jackie Young, uh, I thought she, she, at least a handful of times really made Asia Wilson uncomfortable, felt like had her presence be known, whether it was, you know, uh, being the, the second person contesting a jump shot or force, forcing that big turnover late in the first half. Um, you know, there were at least a half dozen times where Quigley was kind of right in the area as the second defender, uh, you know, not really paying much mind to Jackie Young and more um, bothering Asia Wilson. But the other thing about Wilson is, you know, this is this type of game is just kind of, I, I agree that Chicago played great defensively and Astute particularly played great defensively against her. Stevens has some nice moments as well, but this is just kind of the result. You know, you're going to get these types of games with the shot diet of an Asia Wilson where, you know, she was, as you mentioned, seven for 21. She did get to the line for a couple trips, but, you know, she was four for eight in the restricted area with a couple trips to the line. So, I mean, that's maybe slightly worse than you would expect. But then she was just, you know, she was two for seven on non-paint twos and 0 for two on jumpers, like right at the free throw line, right at the edge of the paint. So it was just a lot of, you know, a lot of them were were good looks. Some of them were not necessarily good looks, but, you know, those are just low value shots. And we saw that with with Chelsea Gray as well. Yeah, Chelsea Gray, I mean, five assists to zero turnovers and she hit both of her three-pointers. But it just seemed to me like she again, wasn't very aggressive, like 10 points in 36 minutes is, I feel like Vegas needs a little more out of Chelsea Gray, at least during this stretch where they're a little shorthanded. I mean, she had, she had two shooting possessions in the second half and she had 10 total shooting possessions in the game. Like she, and for the game, you know, she took two shots at the rim. She made both of her threes, which is great. Zero free throws. And then everything else is just, you know, non-paint twos or, you know, one step inside the paint for that one jump shot that she made. Uh, and, you know, this is a player who did see a lot of defenders that she, you know, it was Diamond to Shields for a lot of the game. It was Kalea Copper sometimes, but but not really a ton. You know, a lot of it was Courtney Vandersloot. You know, why are you pulling up at, at 20 feet with Courtney Vandersloot on you? Like, I mean, Vandersloot is an admirable effort defender, but Chelsea Gray should be able to get her shoulder into Courtney Vandersloot and get deep paint penetration. And we, we just didn't see it. We saw a lot of settling. Is that, do you, Stephen, do you think that's part of this, the game plan though? Like just, 
looking at the scout and saying, okay, Chelsea Gray at this point in her career is not really looking to get into the painting at smaller defenders. So we're going to gamble a little bit and, and, and force her to be more aggressive with a smaller defender on her. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised, you know, like like I said, we, we over the course of the game, we did see a lot of diamond to shields on Chelsea Gray, but to open up the game when it was starters versus starters, you know, to see Courtney Vandersloot kind of taking that assignment, uh, that, that was a little bit surprising. You know, I would think it would maybe be like a little bit the bigger copper or something else and have Vandersloot maybe on Raquana Williams or something. Uh, but that that's not what Chicago did. And, and Chelsea Gray wasn't really interested in kind of making them pay for that. And she had three pull-up long twos on Candace Parker as well. You know, not really interested. The, the one time she attacked a switch, she, she got by Stephanie Dolson. And, you know, instead of once she had her body in between Dolson and the rim, instead of you know, maybe trying to draw some contact and get to the free throw line and, and get Dolson behind her. You know, she went for the reverse and, and ended up missing it. Uh, and that was really the only time she she was aggressive attacking that switch. That's very interesting. Now, a player who I did think was aggressive attacking either switches or a quote-unquote mismatches was Jackie Young. And I kind of wanted to talk about this because in in a vacuum, I could understand why you want to have your, your six-foot tanky guard kind of hunting players like Allie Quigley who are perceived as poor defenders. But I do have to wonder why, I do have to wonder if it's effective team offense. Because, I mean, yeah, you know, she has a clear strength advantage over mostly anybody. Uh, and she did she did get a couple buckets in the paint and, and draw a few fouls. But I don't know, if you're looking to, for to Jackie Young to create offense against anybody really, that means your other players who are just better offensive players aren't getting the basketball. So really, honestly, as a Sky fan, I was fine with that strategy for Las Vegas. Yeah, and she got to the line a few times, like you said, but she really didn't kind of consistently even maximize that mismatch. You know, she she got to the free throw line. She got to the paint a few times, like three of her few, 10 field goal attempts were in the paint, as well as the, those few trips to the line. But another player who was, you know, one of seven on non-paint twos and you know, you expect Jackie Young to shoot better than one of seven on non-paint twos, but I, I did think this was kind of a little bit of a manifestation of like the playoff concerns for Jackie Young, where she wasn't really getting guarded all that much when she didn't have the ball. And then when she did have the ball, it was more of an off night than you could expect. But, you know, it wasn't something where she got to the restricted area or right outside the restricted area, you know, really getting her shoulder into the, the defender because this is one of the best, you know, that might happen against some of the, the poor defenses in the league, but Chicago is, you know, a top four defense. They're, they're the real deal defensively. They play with two traditional bigs that are are like, you know, for the most part, you know, except maybe if it's Steph Dolson present a lot of length for their position and a lot of athleticism for their position. And, you know, Young was not really able to, to kind of take advantage of the perceived mismatch in Allie Quigley. Another thing I want to add on to that is it's just a little awkward when both she and Asia Wilson are on the floor and you're going to Jackie Young, like in the post, or you're going to Jackie Young for like a clear out or something weird like that, because literally the only space in which Jackie Young can have any sort of offensive effectiveness is also the same space in which you want Asia Wilson, who is your best player, to get the basketball, right? So I, I, I don't know. It's just it's just kind of a, a, a funky game plan to me. Yeah, and I think that we saw that at the end of the game, right, with Bill Lambier closing the game with Raquana Williams over Jackie Young in hopes of maybe getting a little bit more reliable offense and, and a little bit more floor spacing for Asia Wilson, who, you know, Wilson 
I think there were there were some shots that she liked to have back. You know, especially late in that game, she had the one where she got diamond on the switch right on right on the block kind of baseline and and just sort of missed a very makeable two. And I think maybe the very next possession, you know, she was she was wide open. I don't even remember what happened, but you know, it was probably a 17 footer or so. And, and, you know, she just wasn't able to, to make it. And there were a few of those for Asia, but for the most part, I think it was, was pretty good D and uh, yeah, like you're saying, just not, not the most well-fitting offensive pieces, I would say, as well as a lack of aggression for a lot of players that you would maybe hope for, for a little bit more of. Okay. So do you, do you kind of want to talk about the, the tail of the tape here? Because I feel like if, if you look at the, the line for this game, it's mostly blue. And that means, it, like, I'm looking at the graphic here. Um, Chicago was able to gain and maintain momentum pretty much throughout the whole game. You know, there was a spot in the third quarter where I believe the Aces either tied it or or took the lead for a, a short while. But Chicago did a pretty good job of, of fending them off for the most part. So who who was Chicago's best player in this game? Who was Chicago's best player? Well, I, I think it would be either Quigley or Candace Parker. Quigley, of course, brought the offense, four or five on three-pointers, 22 points overall. I really can't imagine how this guy would have won this game without her. But Parker, it's an interesting stat line for her because she almost got a triple-double, 12 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists. However, she did not shoot the ball very well, particularly from the free-throw line, four of eight. She was quite vocal about that, by the way. But I think on defense, once again, she was just such a calming factor. Um, She committed that one dumb foul early on, I believe it was a Raquan Williams jump shot. And then for the rest of the game, it was like nearly mistake-free basketball. Well, she she had the take fall when Copper went down. And then, oh, that's true. That's true, yeah. And then her second fall was the one on Williams. And so she picks up her, her second fall seven minutes into the first quarter. And, you know, credit to James Wade for leaving her in. She finished the game with two falls. Finished with two and, fouls, yep. And you, and you left your star player in. So, you know, good on Wade. It was a good decision. She's a smart defensive player, uh, one that does not fall a ton. And, you know, it, it worked out for sure. Uh, and she had that stretch in the, you know, like you said, just kind of the shooting overall, right? Four of eight from the free throw line, 0 for 4 from three, but around the rim was mostly good. You know, she had, a, I think, a miss over, maybe it was Stokes, I want to say, in the paint. But, you know, she had those those two and ones in pretty quick su- succession and, and another drive right before the first one as well, finishing at the rim. And yeah, I, I agree with you that she she probably was there their best player when you consider, you know, the overall impact and the eight assists, 30% from the field or whatever, and 12 points on, I guess, 17 shooting possessions isn't amazing, but she was, she was still effective enough, I think, to kind of, uh, she was a vital part of this win for sure. And, you know, I thought it was kind of a weird one for, for Courtney Vandersloot, you know, in the first half, she kind of got it going, you know, Copper was pretty quiet i think maybe a little quieter than the stat line would suggest so yeah it was it was a great candace parker game even if the field goal percentage wasn't there i will give kalia cobra some slack for being a little quiet in this game mainly because she had that scary looking injury uh almost almost immediately like almost right off the bat in the game um and vandersuit yeah you're right it's it's weird looking at a 9.6 assist game for courtney vandersuit and be like ah that's a pretty pedestrian Courtney Vandersloot stat line, but it was. I mean, she made a couple head-scratching decisions with the basketball, particularly those when she gets really deep into the paint and kind of dumps it off to nobody or the other team. So I, I, don't, I don't know. I think this is a game in which, you know, as you alluded to earlier, Parker did 
enough of the initiating on offense and she did enough of the passing and stephanie dolson as well they they really did a good job at, at picking the aces defense apart you know from the top of the key and, and, and making solid cuts and, and passes to those cutters you didn't see a lot of passes you didn't see a lot of air mailed passes to people out of bounds or a lot of miscommunications on handoffs or, or stuff that has stuff like that is that has kind of plagued this guy for a lot of the season um I, I felt like there was that one stretch when when asia was kind of making her run in the third quarter where it was the third quarter yeah yeah things were getting a little sloppy for the sky you know there was that tipped pass by candace parker that went off the backboard and Vandersloot had a bad pass like either that same possession or the one before that but other than that you know i thought it was uh pretty pretty good controlled basketball and i think that uh is reflective in you know the seven turnovers that they had but i mean let, let's talk about a player who has uh been quite the subject of conversation on this podcast what, what did you think of diamond to shields night tonight uh and many other podcasts i'm assuming but uh diamond to shields was impressive to me uh largely impressive if you look at the stat line 17 points on what is this uh how many shooting possessions at 13 14 something like that she played i thought high iq basketball at least for what we're used to seeing from her uh I didn't see many poor decisions from Diamond to Shields. Maybe a couple of those drives were a little ambitious and they just, like, they just happened to go in or, or, or the shots happened to go in or she happened to draw the foul where it was kind of like, a, no, no, no. And then, yes, you know, where she ends up uh, getting the call or getting the basket. But she just didn't seem to be doing too much. Where, in contrast, you know, earlier this season, for much of this season, rather, she'd be taking shots out of rhythm of the offense where it looked like. You know, she either had too much confidence in her jump shot or not enough confidence in it. And or or and or attacking the paint when there are already too many defenders in the paint. I think we saw that happen still a couple times, but for Diamond to Shields, it's kind of I, I don't want to say it's like on par, but her decision making was was better than we've seen it so far. And it reflected in her game and it, it re- reflected in her efficiency. Yeah, I I mean Look, she was she was six for nine from the field, and you know two of those misses were on that one possession where she got kind of ahead of steam in transition. It was her first transition possession of the game, I think, and it was it was you know her and Jisoo Park all alone, and I think Diamond just maybe like took off like a half step too early or something, and, and kind of lost the ball or something like that. You know, it didn't feel like she had like full control of her layup attempt, but I think her her shot diet was just. It was a really good kind of decision-making game for Diamond to Shields. You know, she she was really aggressive getting to the the, the paint. I you know maybe she got bailed out by some some bad defensive fouls. You know, not not bad calls. Just you know you you kind of get the player where you want them to be, and and then you commit the fall. Yeah, and you know I think uh, maybe one or two of her trips to the line kind of fell in that category. But she was you know she was getting deep into the paint and getting to the rim and. Uh, you know, she had that floater late. She had her her two, you know, jump shots. Uh, she hit two jump shots, which were both nice, clean looks. You know, the catch and shoot one. Um, and, you know, the other one where the defense kind of went way under on the Dolson screen and, and DeShields just took like a nice pull up. It, it was, you know, it's a bummer that both of those were kind of foot on the line twos. But, you know, she was, she was like you said, kind of balancing, being confident when she had the clean look, but not sort of forcing too many jump shots. You know, we didn't really see too much of the kind of self-creation, you know, eight dribble possessions from Diamond to Shields. Um, and then her defense on Chelsea Gray, you know, whether you want to say it was her defensively or, or Chelsea Gray just kind of not really being assertive enough. You know, she Gray didn't have a very effective game, so some of the credit has to go to Diamond at least. Okay, let's talk about that for a second because uh, you have been communicating to me that you do not like Diamond to Shields on ball defense. 
Well, I, I didn't necessarily think she was great on Kelsey Plum, but you know, I, I and this was live, um, but I, I did kind of go back and watch that Kelsey Plum, you know, seven point run late in the first quarter. And it, it wasn't Diamond uh, that was really kind of surrendering a lot of that. So, uh, you know, it was Lexi Brown that gave up the three. I thought it was Diamond. Um, I think Diamond maybe put her on the free throw line, but even the, the two, that was, you know, a switch. But I mean, yeah, <laughs> the thing with Diamond is is you're either going to put her on ball at the point of attack or, or put her off ball and, and hope she doesn't kind of fall asleep defensively. And I just think, you know, a lot of their other options are, are better help defensive players at the wing. But I, you know, I, I guess to just make the point again, I thought she was better on Diamond than she was on Kelsey Plum. Okay, I feel that. Yeah. Uh, and for for the record, uh, Kelsey Plum t- played terrific basketball today. Some some of it was just really good offensive plays uh, that I'm not sure anybody could have guarded. And it really, it, it, what, I, what I wanted to say here about, about Plum is that Watching her today made me think that she's kind of the X factor for the Aces team. And I kind of wanted to revisit a point that we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, who is the Aces more, who is more important to the Aces coming off the bench? Kelsey Plummer or Dierka Hamby? I think earlier I said Dierka Hamby, and I still believe that she's the better individual player. But for this team, I think Kelsey Plum, the way she's playing, is more important. Because, like you said earlier on the podcast, there were lineups that Plum was out. Plum was out there with like four offensive non non factors, three or four offensive non factors, and she was really the team's only offense. And sometimes she is, she is their only perimeter player who's interested in creating her own shot or can create her own shot off the dribble. So um, yeah, Plum played a terrific game in, in, in twenty five minutes of play. But yeah, going back to your point about Diamond, I'm wondering if this wasn't a conscious decision by James Wade just to keep Diamond kind of more engaged in the more more engaged in the game you hear uh you hear broadcasters and, and coaches talking all, all the time about you know a, a player taking taking or not taking his or her offense onto the other end of the floor with them or their defense onto their offensive end of the floor maybe if diamond is more engaged on the ball then she's she carries it over onto the offensive end is, is that just coach speak or or what i mean i think there's there's probably something to that i would say yeah i agree yeah okay but, but to, if we can go back to to Plum for a second, I sure. mean, she she is a player who I think just as long as she is bringing with her and she did in this game, I thought like a very, a very healthy shot diet. You know, she had 16 field goal attempts along with her, her getting to the line a, a very decent amount, seven times. You know, she took seven threes, so she took uh, 11 twos, I guess, and six of those she got all the way to the restricted area. She was four of six in the restricted area, uh, along with some other paint twos. You know, she she brings with her the kind of level of a- aggressiveness and, and kind of getting all the way to the rim or taking a three. Like, that's kind of what you want from, you know, maybe your um, third or fourth best offensive player. And, and, you know, in some lineups, she's their best offensive player, of course, you know, and some of the ones we were with more bench heavy players, but the ability to, to be a threat from outside and get all the way to the restricted area and finish and, and push it in transition uh, and push it in transition. Sorry. Um, or, you know, space the floor uh, off the ball. Cause she, you know, she only shot two of seven from three tonight, but I do think she's, you know, a pretty credible floor spacer in that way. You know, teams, oh, definitely. Are, you know, teams are not banding her out there. So yeah, she, she's a really important piece. And I, I would imagine I have a hard time kind of imagining her not closing games in like the highest leverage situations. That's a good point, especially heading into the playoffs where you think teams are just going to pack the paint, slow it down, make Jackie Young shoot, heck, make Chelsea Gray shoot the way way she's playing. But uh, what really impressed me about Kelsey Plummer today, and maybe this is just 
is being there live in person at the level was she was really shifty and she was really explosive. And that's incredible to me for uh, uh, yet another WBA player coming off an Achilles injury and coming back and looking really physically spry, like basically like new. Um, she And you said it in her shot diet. She was not settling for, for long twos. She was either taking the three or she was getting all the way to the rim and, and, and finishing or, or drawing fouls to the basket. So, yeah, really impressive game for, for Kelsey Plum. I do have to wonder, you, you talked about her closing games. Like what, what what kind of role do you think Plum would be more adept at? This this role of primary initiator with these aces bench lineups or third scorer behind Asia Wilson and Liz Cambage, theoretically speaking, in a closing lineup? So, you know, kind of like the starting point guard, but you're acquiescing a little bit more. Yes. To, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think she is a player, you know, I was just saying a minute ago that she's, she's a credible floor spacer and all that, but I do think she is more effective with the ball in her hands than, than without. So, I mean, she, she is one of their five best players, I think, and she deserves to, you know, be in, in the closing lineups. And I think she will be against the best teams, but you know, this bench role where she can kind of come in, get some shots up early, kind of get, get her rhythm a little bit, you know, it's, it's leading to a, a very strong six woman of the year campaign, but you know, on some other teams, I think maybe maybe starting and, and kind of being a little bit more dominant would be like ball dominant. I mean, uh, would would be a nice role for her and, and an effective one. But with everything that they have, you know, Chelsea Gray as kind of the uh, the star point guard, so to speak, in terms of like name recognition and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's working out for them for sure. And, and for Plum, she seems to be thriving in this role. I mean, if if you look back to her collegiate career, this this was her role ball dominant scorer who is going to get a lion's share of the usage and uh she ended up um being one of the ncaa's all-time leading scorers so obviously she knows what she's doing uh and is comfortable in that role so uh but you, you say like on a different team i mean now that i'm looking at the box where this almost is a is a different team because no cambage and no hamby that's at, at least cambage you know hamby i feel like can function in a lower usage role uh, but but Canvage not being there is, is is pretty critical. So is there anything else you kind of want to hit on as far as statistics or individual players go? Yeah, I guess one last thing before we we kind of head out here. Uh, Quigley had a great game. You know, Diamond also had a great game. And James Wade closed the game with Diamond to Shields uh, as yeah. they were trying to hold on to the lead with Diamond to Shields out there rather than Allie Quigley. What did you think? I liked it. I liked it because I think uh, Diamond earned her minutes. She earned those minutes. And as far as a player, and, and then you look at the way the Aces were trying to get back in that game, it was a lot of Kelsey Plum attacking, and it was a lot of, obviously, you know, you look to Asia Wilson and stuff like that. So how, how do you best counter that? Would it be Quigley's offense or DeShield's defense and, you know, athleticism? And I think Wade made the right call. I mean, results would say that Wade made, that Wade made the right call. But, yeah, like I said, I think Diamond earned those minutes um, because she was playing even keel for the most part she did get that that technical foul earlier in the game which was a uh, little little upsetting but she was able to keep her composure after that eric and, uh, you were there did she say anything untoward did she say anything I, you know it's, it's it's a little more difficult now because earlier in the season um when the attendance was limited dude i could hear everything uh it was it was pretty funny listening to the players interactions with the referees and each other and stuff like that now that the arena was packed again i didn't hear if she said anything she might have like bumped into the official. I heard the official say something. I believe it was Maj Forsberg who said like, "Okay, blew the whistle, technical foul," um, and and it was pretty clear like Diamond knew she messed up. But um, 
yeah, I will, I will, I will plead the fifth on that one because I just don't know. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the uh, the decision worked in Wade's favor, and this this isn't something that we're we're surprised with, is it? Because we've seen James Wade go to, go to this in the past um, in past seasons. So if this guy can get this version of Diamond Shields on a consistent basis, I think they've got more closing power, don't you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I I tend to just kind of lean towards offense you know even even when you're up a couple possessions late in the game i you know that that one extra kind of dagger three or something like that um i think brings a little bit more value to it than maybe a coach would let on who who maybe wants to lean the the defensive uh you know lean more defense i guess i should say um but yeah diamond was great she definitely did earn those minutes i mean maybe it would have been copper and instead of uh the shields that would be right on the bench for those last few minutes. But, you know, Copper definitely had her moments, especially cutting. I thought Copper had a great cutting game, even if the, the outside shot wasn't working too well. Um, but yeah, it worked out. So, you know, can't, can't complain too much, but uh, you know, I, I think coaches, I guess in general, just kind of, you know, when, when you have that two or three, you know, six point possession lead, two or three possessions, uh, you know, lean defense a little bit too much when I think kind of that big offensive play can really... You play uh, not to lose. Yeah, exactly. Win. It's, you know, the, the prevent defense, I guess, a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm, other than that, I don't really have too much too much more on this one. Okay, I just wanted to, to throw out a few statistics here. Um, points in the paint, Chicago 36, Aces 34. Uh, free throw attempts, like I said earlier, Chicago 23, Aces 22. Um, and then rebounds. Chicago 38, Las Vegas 37. Those three factors, I think we're, th- those kind of sum up the game right there because those are three departments in which you expect the Aces to win in the vast majority of their games, and they did not win any of them. And also, you know, did, did you mention fast break points? You oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, Chicago had 12 fit. Wait, when were those? <laughs> I thought this is kind of a slower paced game, but I guess not. I, I don't remember too many of them. I, I remember, uh, I think Diamond Diamond definitely had a transition bucket, and I think Quigley had maybe a pull-up three in transition. I don't really remember too many of them. I guess them, it depends so. on how it's scored. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I thought you know Chicago just did a, a good job in their transition defense, not allowing Vegas to really get out and transition, and that's definitely something they want to do. Definitely. Okay, uh, anything else in this game? Because I think we've just about had it. Or just about done it, rather. Yeah, I think we can we can wrap up. Um, thank you all so much for listening to the show. Uh, this was a, a good game that that we recorded on. Definitely fun to to kind of relitigate this one, I guess. Um, if you want to support the show, uh, please subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcast. Uh, tell a friend if you think someone you know might enjoy it. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA at Nemchak E for Eric's personal account at Trinkwald for myself. We're both on private, though. Yeah, we're both on private. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Take care.